0: Alright, welcome back to Unqualified Analysis, the show with zero qualifications that just keeps firing off takes anyways and just keeps getting progressively more and more tired. But here we are anyways. I'm your host, Caleb Verzak. Not even sure if I said that or not. I'm just kind of going at this point. Uh, Anyways, it is going to be a big uh, preview episode today. We got the week one preview, but before that we got some updates from around the league. And after that, it's football. And more football should be a nice episode today, but a little housekeeping at the top. For this week and this week only, I will be having three episodes. You got your episode today on Thursday, and then we'll be bumping the NFC North preview to Friday, because otherwise this would be a three-hour-long episode, because I, um, I got a little carried away with all of my, uh, my game previews for the week one of the NFL uh, season. So, hey, three episodes this week. Don't expect that going forward. It's gonna be the two from here on out. After I finish up this uh, this division uh, preview series, this is this has been more than I could have ever uh, expected as far as uh, volume of work. Let's just say, but we're getting into the uh, the swing of things. Next week we will be completely back on schedule for the season. Cannot wait. But with that, let us get in. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Let's get into the, the, the crux of this episode. Couldn't have gotten there any more awkwardly. Week 1 Preview. And before we get into that Week 1 Preview, let me just stop off and get you some updates real quick. A few clerical things to get through here. Uh, as I suspected, Zach Wilson... Out for week one. They're actually being a little bit more cautious than I expected them to be, though. They're keeping him out until week four now. So it's going to be wacko for Flacco. Joe Flacco revenge game week one versus the Baltimore Ravens. Got them at home in New York. Um, Ultimately, this can only really... Well, I don't know if hurting their chances. I don't really... We've been over this before, but I'm not really necessarily that high on what Zach Wilson brings to the table. That being said... I mean, got to gotta love Joe Flacco. I mean, he's going to be in there. He's going to be motivated. The unibrow's is going to be shining above all else in there. I mean, look for him to come out there, just be slinging it all over the yard, as we know Joe Flacco to be. I mean, if there's one thing we know of Joe Flacco is, he is a gunslinger. He is an elite quarterback. So uh should be fun to watch him there in week one in New York versus his old team. Can't wait there. Outside of that, we got Dawson Knox of the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, Buffalo Buffaloes. Yep, that that was definitely something I was about to say there. Anyways, uh, Dawson Knox, tight end, uh, four years, $53.6 31 of that guaranteed. uh, Sign this. the day before opening day, I mean, you're listening to this day of the opening day. I'm sure you already heard about it. Uh, for some of the more learned of you out there, uh, but either way, good signing for the for the Bills. There, good to lock that guy up for the long term. Always love to have a uh, solid security blanket, sort of tight end in there, uh, especially when you got a wild man at quarterback like Josh Allen is. Uh, outside of that, we got one more update here, which should lead us perfectly into opening night. Van Jefferson. Out for the season opener, uh, Rams versus Bills. Uh, yep, no no Van Jefferson in there, so they'll just have to go with uh, Allen Robinson and uh, Cooper Cup. Terrible, terrible uh, situation that the Rams have found themselves in. I mean, what, what will they ever do? Uh, ho-hum. Uh, with that, though, stop with the headlines. Into the actual game, starting off day one, week one, I'm so goddamn prepared. Let's just get into it. Bills versus Rams. Tonight, as you are listening to this, tomorrow, as I'm recording this, don't even know why I included that part, but anyways... We are starting off the season with a banger. This could be a Super Bowl matchup at some point down the line. I mean, you would think in the Super Bowl based on how I framed that, but really starting off hot here. Either way, uh, some matchups to watch. Bills D-line versus the Rams offensive line. Uh, The Bills did improve their D-line, adding Vaughn Miller to uh, pair opposite of Greg Rousseau. Uh, The Rams also regressed as an O-line. So, not a great combination if you're a Rams fan. way I see it, Bill's front seven has a clear advantage over the Rams O-line in both the run and the pass. I anticipate the Rams will have a tough time running the ball with any sort of consistency in this one. So, a branching matchup from that assumption is the one between the Rams' backfield and the Bills' linebacking core in the receiving game. Without a push on the offensive line, uh, I think the Rams will likely... Try to replace running snaps with short passes to the running backs. That's kind of what they did last year when they struggled in the running game at times. Uh, the Bills' ability to stop this uh, those running backs out of the backfield is going to dictate a fair degree of the overall success that the front seven sees in this game, at least the way I see it. Um, outside of that, other matchups to watch, Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson versus the vaunted Bills secondary, um, and Matt Stafford, for that matter, versus the uh, the Buffalo Bills secondary. Usually this would be an unstoppable force immovable object sort of situation matchup here, uh, but the absence of Trey White at corner uh, and the offseason loss of Levi Wallace to, the, I believe, the Steelers... Um, it leaves the middle secondary a bit vulnerable, a bit vulnerable right now. Uh, Cooper Cup has been known to dismantle secondaries all by himself, but when he's got a guy opposite of him like OBJ or Allen Robinson in this case, he's damn near unstoppable. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's a sight to behold. You saw it last season. I would only expect that to be, I mean, with Allen Robinson on the other side, even better this year for for an entire season. You would hope so, as long as Allen Robinson stays healthy. Uh, Now you put that vaunted duo against a young group of corners. That's a recipe for disaster on the Bills' side. I mean, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde will have their hands full on the back end trying to contain this group. If Stafford can exploit the favorable matchups on the outside uh, while working around the dynamic Bills' safeties on the back end, maybe a long day for this Bills' defense. Maybe look for more of the, uh, the intermediate short passing to thrive in this one. Have to see if Matt Stafford is disciplined enough to just let the defense come to him. I mean, he's a veteran at this point. He should be able to do that. But also been known he's a real gunslinger unlike Joe Flacco he's an act he's actually a guy who'll say fuck it just throw that ball right down the field and either make a good play maybe throw three interceptions sometimes that's just the uh the yin and the yang of Matt Stafford if he's more disciplined uh hits more of the intermediate routes in this one i think uh his wide receivers are going to have a field day against this uh this young secondary uh in fact the rams with the o line being at such a disadvantage. Quick passing may become a huge emphasis uh, for them in this game. Uh, with that being the case, the safeties are mostly taken out of the equation, so there's a good chance the Rams just dink and dunk the Bills to death in this one, in my opinion. Again, assuming that uh, Matt Stafford doesn't get greedy, doesn't force the ball into places where it should not belong, and I probably could not have phrased that any worse, but just take that in the worst way you could possibly think of. He's putting he's putting balls all over the place in places you definitely don't want them. Uh, I'll just leave it at that though. Next matchup on the docket, Josh Allen versus the Rams pass rush and secondary. Um, so basically the whole Rams pass defense. Yep, that was that was good on my part. Um, it's Going to take a full team effort by the Rams to stop Josh Allen. Uh, The pass rush is going to have to get home and gang tackle to get Allen on the ground. Secondary will need to stay disciplined to avoid giving up big plays down the field when Josh Allen gets scrambling, and he will get scrambling. I mean, you can gang tackle him all you want. I mean, Josh Allen is just such a big physical freak. He's going to get out of there eventually. I mean, he's got a cannon. He's going to launch the ball down the field. If you can stay glued to those receivers in that time, I mean it'll make all the difference in the world there. Um, pass rush is gonna have to get home. That, that's that's the main thing here. Main prerogative is keeping Allen in the pocket, though. He can dice you up from the pocket, but if he breaks containment, I mean there's not a there's there's not a damn thing the defense can do to stop him. So it's really it's the lesser of two evils here. I mean, make him do the shit that he's slightly worse at. I mean, maybe he won't end up being good at it in this one. Um, obviously, a lot like Aaron Rodgers, it's, you know, you, you pick your poison. You keep him in the pocket. Historically, up until recently, um, he's been known to, to force some balls in there. Maybe not uh, create as much by, by scrambling around, let letting the guys get downfield for him. Um, that being said... The success of guys like Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd against the the, uh, Bills offensive line will be paramount if the Rams want to slow down the Bills offense. Uh, The magic combo for Josh Allen when targeting this secondary is to attack the cornerback Troy Hill, solid cornerback, but not Jalen Ramsey, uh, and free safety Nick Scott where he can. Uh, I'm sure he'll get one or two over on Ramsey and Rap, but... Uh, targeting those two on a consistent basis is a losing proposition even for a quarterback as great as Josh Allen uh, has been and probably will continue to be um, in this game and going forward. Uh, whoever matches up with Troy Hill, like likely Gabe Davis on uh, many many occasions, uh, probably going to get a lot of work on this Thursday night. And uh, from that leading into the next one, we got Stefan Diggs versus Jalen Ramsey. This one Uh, kind of all depends on how the Rams choose to approach this Uh, a lot of teams have adopted the Bill Belichick method uh, when you've got a shutdown corner like Jalen Ramsey or like you had with J.C. Jackson Stephon Gilmore you you understand the gist of it Um, that is for those of you who do not know let me let me learn you a little bit here Uh, that is putting your shutdown guy that that's Ramsey or whoever it happens to be on the second receiver uh, putting bracket coverage that is corner plan straight up uh, another corner plan or a, a safety plan over the top on the number one receiver uh, that would mean in that case that Stefan Diggs would be getting that bracket, cov- bracket coverage uh, Troy Hill right on top of him um, probably either Taylor Rapp or Nick Scott right over top um, it all again it all kind of depends uh, but Assuming that Jalen Ramsey is going to match up one on one with Stephon Diggs on a fairly uh, a fairly good clip, a fairly good clip, I would imagine. Uh, if if it ends up being the plan, uh, this matchup will matter a lot less. But assuming Ramsey will be on Diggs, that'll be a marquee matchup for all to see. Uh, if Stephon Diggs can win that matchup and be near or over a hundred yards in this game the Rams are going to have a long, long night on the defensive side. And, I mean, it doesn't matter how many stars you have. If you got holes, a, a team like the Bills will exploit them if given the opportunity. Uh, if Ramsey can limit Diggs' production and impact, uh, there's not another receiver on the Bills that truly frightens you as a defense. I mean, you could say Gabe Davis had that four-touchdown game in the playoffs last year. Um, that being said, he didn't exactly have – Uh, a light-up-the-world sort of season before that. Um, People who are going off the recency bias and just saying Gabe Davis is going to step up and be an elite sort of receiver, great number-two receiver, um, could happen. Definitely not discounting that possibility. That being said, outside of the one game, I I would caution, pump the brakes, I'll just say that much. Let's pump the brakes in the Gabe Davis hype. He might be good, but let's... uh, Let's let's let him put together a resume outside of one game in the you know the the best possible moment to do it. But just, it's only one game at this point. Um, so if Allen can be the main focus for everyone else, that that's a good idea. That's a good idea if you can uh, you know limit digs. Um, hopefully you can limit digs that way, uh, really stumbling to the end in this matchup. So I'm just going to move on to the next one. Uh, Bill's va- Bills backfield versus the Rams linebackers in the receiving game, uh, kind of taking the logical leap, anticipating that Aaron Donald uh, will block out the sun of that O-line, um, making it damn near impossible to run the ball, uh, add in the Bobby Wagner behind them, uh, all, you know, that, that entails. Uh, and you might as well just forget about getting consistent contributions on the ground outside of Josh Allen uh, if you're the Buffalo Bills. So, with that in mind, the Bills running backs, much like the Rams counterparts, are going to be asked to win one-on-one matchups with linebackers in the receiving game. Uh, Bobby Wagner is a non-starter. He'll probably win most of those matchups that he gets put in. His fellow starters, however, Ernest, Johns, or Ernest Jones, rather, uh, Justin Hollins, they can be had, I think. Uh, the Bills' backfield's gonna need to consistently beat those two guys if they want any consistent production in this game. Because otherwise, I mean, like I said, Aaron Donald in the middle, you got Bobby Wagner behind them. You're not gonna get a damn thing going in the running game. This might, this, this, uh, this Rams defense might have one of the best uh, running defense in the entire league. I mean. Talk about the Ravens on Friday, they got a little bit something to say to that. But I mean just those two stars right there. Two legitimate first team all pros. I mean, that right there is the base for one of the best rush defense. One of the best rush defenses in the entire league. Uh, not gonna go out and make any bold predictions here. That being said, Rams being home underdogs, I think it's plus two and a half now, last I heard. Um, solid odds. Solid odds, I would say, uh, for taking the Rams there, so not an out-and-out pick, but if I had to do a lean, I'm, I'm leaning towards the Rams just based on the value, if nothing else. I mean, the Rams at home just won a Super Bowl opening night, um, hopefully for all the people watching, including myself, it's an entertaining game, um, it's a high-scoring game, but Who's to say? Excited to watch it. Excited to see how it unfolds tonight on whatever channel it's on. I, I don't know. We're all going to be sitting there watching it, though. I'm so fucking glad football is back. From there, let's get into the Sunday game, shall we? Uh, starting off with the 1 p.m. slate. We've got the Saints versus Falcons. Um, more than anything, this is just like, you know, seeing how the Saints are going to look under Dennis Allen. Also... I mean, the Saints versus Falcons, I mean, I'm going to keep it short and sweet here for the rest of, well, not the rest of them, but a lot of the rest of these matchups. uh, If you're just looking at the rosters, the Saints should win this one by a landslide, but the Saints-Falcons rivalry, I mean, it's one you can't totally be sure that it's going to be a lopsided affair ever. I mean, there are times where, I mean, the Saints have had much better teams for the past several years and it feels like at least once a year the, the Falcons keep it much closer than they have any right keeping it and I feel like I mean the Falcons are at home in this one if there is one that you would think that they would play it uh the Saints even closer in it would be this one that being said the one they played them close in last year was in the Superdome so who, who's even to say uh that being said Uh, If you're looking at just the rosters, this is a very lopsided affair. Last season, uh, the Falcons actually split the season series with uh, what I would categorize as a significantly worse roster than the Saints, Uh, and the one win they got was actually on the road in the Superdome, like I just said. So, hey, retreading that old tire right there. uh, I still don't think the Falcons will win, but expect this to be a close-context Uh, My sports book of choice has the line set at five and a half currently, uh, whenever I wrote this, that is, uh, in favor of the Saints, which I think is pretty accurate to what the game will actually look like in the end. I don't think the Saints are going to pull away. I think personnel-wise, like I said, if you just looked at the personnel, the Saints should pull away, should beat the brakes off the Falcons, but the familiarity, the rivalry factor they're going to keep it close. The Falcons are going to keep it close. Uh, one matchup to watch, as I'm going to do for the rest of these, kind of got carried away with the matchups to watch in opening night. But I'm excited. It's it's the best matchup of the week. I decided to spend a little bit of extra time on that one. Also, kind of calibrating my uh, my preview style here. Had to had to kind of dust off the cobweb, see what I'm doing. Anyways, matchup to watch for the Saints versus the Falcons is the Saints' interior offensive line versus one-man That's Grady Jarrett for the Atlanta Falcons. Jarrett is truly the only guy that scares you on the Falcons defensive line, and really on the entire defense for that matter. They are, I cannot stress enough, bereft of talent in Atlanta right now. It is going to be a tough season to be an Atlanta Falcons fan, but then again, how is that that much different from usual, right? Uh, If the Saints offensive line can consistently neutralize Grady Jarrett, Uh, The world is their oyster offensively. In the pass game, Jameis will likely get the time uh, to make good decisions and accurate passes. In the run game, the boy AK-41 won't be assaulting people. Instead, he'll likely have a productive day on the ground, really legally assaulting people on the football field. If Grady Jarrett is allowed to wreak havoc, we could have a classic Saints-Falcons matchup where the game ends up way, way closer than it probably should be. I I do believe... Grady Jarrett will be on a certain degree of bullshit. Um, that being said, again, he is truly the only person of great value on that defensive line. I would think the Saints probably end up double and triple teaming him on every single play. A lot like you would treat Aaron Donald because low-key, Grady Jarrett has been like the tier like directly below Aaron Donald for a long time. He's just trapped... Uh, forever living Groundhogs Day on this uh, on this this Atlanta Falcons team for the past, I don't know, however many years. The entire prime of his career, pretty much. So, uh, that being said, off my soapbox, I mean, hey, hope Grady Jarrett does well. Uh, got a lot of faith in the Saints to pull this one out, though. Moving on to the next one in the 1pm slot, we've got the 49ers versus the Chicago Bears. Um, again, New coach thing, new coach Matt Eberflus, uh, debut as a head coach, is in front of the home crowd here, and I'd like to just stop off real quick and say, boy, after everything I have seen, I am glad that we do not have Ryan Poles as our GM over in Minnesota. We'll talk about them, uh, both of the. The Bears and the Vikings on Friday, but let me let me just say I am I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm, I I really wanted polls, wanted him bad. Whenever we were uh, discussing who the new GM would be, but oh, let me tell you, man, we dodged a bullet. Quasi Atofo Mensa, I am. I am glad you are my GM and uh, not Ryan Poles right now. That being said, back to the regularly scheduled program. All eyes will be on the second-year quarterback Justin Fields, who will be facing up against one of the premier defenses in the entire league. If he can put up a solid outing against this unit, I'll be very, very impressed. Uh, judging by the makeup of both teams and, uh, conditions they're playing in, this is shaping up to be a low-scoring affair. Uh, Niners have one of the better overall defenses in the league, and with Trey Lance at QB, I expect them to be running the ball at, at the Bears' greatest strength, which is their running defense, uh, pretty much every play, couple that with the fact that they're playing in that notoriously slow grass at, uh, Soldier Field, and I could see this ending up in, in, in a... 20-17 20 to 17 slugfest maybe even one of those 17-10 slugfests. Uh, matchup to watch overall 49ers interior offensive line versus the Bears interior defensive line a mono e mono match there unlike the unlike just Grady Jarrett for the for the Falcons uh, with this game likely to be a ground and pound physical matchup uh the game's going to be won and lost as it always is but acutely in this matchup in the trenches uh, I expect the 49ers defense to stifle much of what the Bears offense tries to accomplish. Again, Ryan Poles didn't do an awesome job this offseason. Uh, the offensive line is, whew, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Again, we'll talk about the whole team uh, on Friday, but holy shit, it, it is, is it something to behold in there? Um, that being said... It's going to come down to the Bears' D-line to muck up the running game for the 49ers offense on the other side of the ball. If they want to keep this close, keep this competitive. Uh, The goal here, more than anything for the Chicago defense, is just to make Trey Lance prove that he can beat them through the air. Conversely, though, if they dare Lance to beat them through the air, and he does, this game could get really ugly, really quick. Um, Obviously a lot like the last one. If you're just looking at personnel, the the 49ers should beat the brakes off of the Bears. I think there's a good possibility that they do end up beating the brakes off the Bears because they don't have any like rivalry or division ties, no familiarity there. So there's no reason for me to think that the 49ers, as vaunted and talented as, as they are, are going to lose to the dumb, stupid Bears. Um, Really letting my biases show on that one. Uh, that being said... Uh, going to be interesting to watch what Matt Eberflus looks like in his debut as a head coach at home at Soldier Field. Uh, With that, moving on to the Steelers versus the Bengals, probably the best matchup in the 1 p.m. slate of games. It's a new look Steelers offense against a very stout Bengals defense that returned everyone and really just added death behind that. And on the other side, It's an explosive Bengals offense versus a staunch and stingy Steelers defense that brings back last year's Defensive Player of the Year, T.J. Watt, among other absolute freak animals on that side of the ball. This will be a great litmus test to see just how much better that revamped Bengals offensive line is from last year going against one of the best defensive fronts in the entire league obviously in all of football because the league is the cream of the crop. We all know how that is. Great divisional matchup here in the NFC North, which we talked about just how strong that NFC North was on uh, Tuesday. That's when it was. Uh, the Steelers are simply on the offensive side of the ball. I know it's a hot take, but, you know, I think Joe Burrow and the stacked receiving core he's got are going to be slightly... Just a little bit better, if only a smidgen, than uh, Mitch Trubisky in a completely reshuffled receiving core that they are just going to have to uh, rediscover the dynamics on the fly. Um, As such, the Steelers' best avenue for a win is going to be mucking up the game, keeping it low scoring. You don't want to get in a shootout with Joe Burrow. Uh, That's what we would call a losing proposition the kitchen is hot in the AFC North. This is an absolute banger of a matchup in Week 1. Thank you to uh, Mr. Goodell. Uh, I will pray to the God of Goodell that he should bless us with such great games next year. Because it only gets better from here. I mean, That being said, sticking with this game before I get ahead of myself. Matchup of the game, Steelers secondary versus the Bengals receiving core. Um, if the Steelers want to keep it low scoring, they're going to have to at least battle to a draw with the Bengals receiving core in this one. If Higgins is allowed to go up and Moss DBs on a regular basis and Jamar Chase breaks free, hits some deep shots, Burrow's going to get over 300 yards. Bengals are ultimately going to win by double digits in the end of this. The Steelers need to keep this low scoring. Cameron Sutton and uh, Akela Witherspoon will have have their hands full trying to limit these receivers. Uh, luckily for them, they've got high-level safeties over the top. Micah, not Micah Hyde, Minka Fitzpatrick and uh, Terrell Edmonds. My my brain's still mentally with the Bills-Rams because I'm so goddamn excited to watch it. I'm, I'm fucking shaking right now because I'm so excited to watch it. That being said, Minka Fitzpatrick and Terrell Edmonds uh, need them to step up in a big way to prevent big plays down the the field, uh, ten yard gains are one thing, but allowing forty yard chunks gonna get the Steelers beat in the end, and that's really what they've been good at doing under Tomlin. i really for the entire history of their franchise, you could say. I mean, they've had a, a fantastic defense for a long, long time there in the the Steel City. If they can limit those big plays, make a make a defensive struggle out of this, uh, the the Steelers could find themselves with an edge and a path to victory at that. With that being said, I mean, best quarterback in the division, um, very good defense on the other side. These Steelers are going to have their hands full, again, Really excited to watch this matchup week one if that happens to be what's all my TV in the 1 p.m. slot. Uh, moving on to the next one, another divisional matchup: Patriots versus Dolphins. Really interesting matchup from a styles perspective here more than anything else. Um, really, I mean this is a multi-levelled interesting matchup. Really, one that I want to see. <laughs> Honestly, if this one's on, I won't be. I won't be. uh Complaining at all. I'm very excited to see what happens in this one. On one side, you got a Patriots team who are pretty clearly built around the defense and running game. Uh, on the other side, you've got the Dolphins who are just built for raw speed and explosivity across the board. Even more interesting to watch will be this chess match between Bill Belichick and rookie head coach Mike McDaniel. I expect Belichick to win that one, as he always does, but the real question is, can Mike McDaniel just hold his own when it's all said and done? On paper, the Patriots are outgunned on off, on the offensive side of the ball, but I would imagine Belichick has something up his sleeve on defense to welcome Mike McDaniel to the league. He's probably going to try and confuse the hell out of two Otago Bailoa um, Judging how he's done in the past, I, I have a lot of faith in Bill Belichick to uh to make it happen there. Um Much like the Steelers Bengals, this matchup will most likely come down to whether the Pats defense can muck up the game and force it to be a low-scoring contest. Vegas has rightly got the line uh close on this one. It is currently two and a half in favor of of the Dolphins should be a very, very close matchup. Um, Really, again, another one of those where you look at the rosters, just raw personnel. I mean, the Dolphins are really head and shoulders better than what the Patriots got out there. Maybe not on the defensive side, but certainly on the offensive side of the ball. Um, That being said... Bill Belichick owns this division. Bill Belichick owns rookie head coaches. Bill Belichick owns young QBs. So this is one of those things, and and not to mention it's a it's an interdivision game too, where the Dolphins have always won. They're at home, so new new offensive system, new new people on offense, people that are new to the offensive side of the ball, running the Patriots offense, um, going down to Miami. I mean, it's looking it's looking good for the Dolphins. I'll I'll just put it that way. Uh, Bill Belichick's gonna have to pull a rabbit out of his hat to uh end up winning this one. With that said, matchup of the game basically gonna be Tua versus the Bills, not the Bills secondary, the Patriots secondary, but that you know by proxy, it's it's Tua versus Bill Belichick here. Uh, the crux of where the game will be won, in my opinion, is right here. In this matchup, Bill Belichick is going to draw up some crazy coverage to confuse to uh, counteract the ungodly speed of the Dolphins' receivers on the outside. Two is going to need to beat that coverage and hit some, some big plays down the field to break this game open and give the Dolphins an advantage. That being said, Belichick is a defensive genius. Uh, but with a new slate of starters at corner, Hill and Waddle. are will get loose at some point. Mark my words, they're going to get loose down the sideline. They're going to get behind the defense. Tyreek Hill, I mean, there's no one else like him. Just by the design of his body and the freakish athleticism that, that he was just blessed with by genetics. By the He just won the genetic lottery pretty much. I mean, we say it for a lot of people, but legitimately, I mean, people, I mean they don't make... They don't make guys that run as fast as he does, accelerate as fast he, as he does, change directions as fast as he does. He is an absolute physical freak. All that is to say, he's going to get behind the defense. And Jalen Waddell, maybe not as fast as Tyreek Hill, but faster than most of the other guys in the league right now. I mean, they they will get loose behind the secondary at some point. The question is, will Tua take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves Or will we see a continuation of the downfield passing struggles we've seen from him really since he entered the league a couple years ago? All eyes are on this matchup, uh, in my mind, to decide the fate of this game. And we're going to see exactly what Tua looks like in a system with a head coach that believes in him first off and with an offensive head coach that won't be stifling the offense. Like I I feel like if there's one criticism you could have of Brian Flores, it's that he did stifle that offense at times. He did kind of undermine the confidence of Tua by putting in Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jacoby Brissett and, and all of these other quarterbacks in instead of Tua Um Maybe Tua being more empowered, he'll push the ball down the field more. I think he'll get a a lot more opportunities with McDaniel drawing up the plays. But again, all eyes are on this matchup. Tua versus Bill, Tua versus that Patriots secondary. Let's see what uh, what it turns out to be. Moving on from there, from drama to another bit of drama here, Browns versus Panthers, more than anything, This is the juicy storyline game of the week in the NFL. I think, ultimately, uh, this is a matchup of non-playoff teams, but the drama of Baker Mayfield getting an immediate shot at revenge against the team that scorned him, I mean, it's going to create some fun, awesome television to watch. I would be shocked if we didn't get multiple videos and soundbites for Baker Mayfield just being downright disrespectful to the Browns, maybe in subtle ways, maybe in overt ways. I mean, I am all the way here for this right now. Uh, honestly, it's in the 1 p.m. slate, so I'm. Th- this may be the market I'm closest to. Might be trapped watching this game. All I can hope is that, one, it's a close matchup, and two, Baker Mayfield acts a fool. I can only hope those two things happen, because uh, otherwise I'm just going to be sitting here miserably either watching them or, or watching the, the Falcons' Saints. So, not, not really a win here for your boy, no matter what happens. That being said, matchup of the game. Moving out of that depressing line of thought. Uh, Browns offensive line versus the Panthers front seven. A lot of in the trenches talk today. Uh, I don't think either passing game going to be particularly effective in this one. The Browns are just bad at passing, as I laid out on Tuesday. Uh, Panthers are facing a vaunted defense with from top to bottom. I mean, great corners, uh, great uh, safeties easy for me to say, Uh, great pass rushers, great linebackers, just great top to bottom uh, they have on that defense. So for me, it comes down to the running game. I think the Browns front seven can keep Christian McCaffrey mostly in check, so it's likely going to come down to how well the Browns can run it on the other side of the ball. Personnel-wise, the Browns O-line should have a decided advantage over the Panthers' D-line, but they're going to be facing – seven or eight man boxes with Jacoby Brissett at QB until Jacoby Brissett, uh, proves that he can push the ball down the field. That being said, I do remember him throwing, I believe in one game, like over 40 attempts for less than 200 yards, really just a a prolific effort there. I mean, it might've been actually like 50 attempts. It was something crazy, inefficient, like, like Bad numbers for a running back, sort of yards per attempt average right there. But, so yeah, that is all to say, don't have a whole lot of faith in uh, Jacoby Brissett to push the ball down the field. So probably going to be facing seven or eight man boxes all game. It's just going to be a hard physical track, yeah, physical clash in the trenches this entire game. Uh, If you like smash mouth football, this is going to be a game for you, sir and or lady and or they, them, whatever you happen to identify as. That being said, if... Kevin Stefanski can get creative with the play design, and the offensive line can get consistent push in the face of superior numbers. That will most likely be the edge that seals the game for the Browns. Uh, as you can probably tell, I'm expecting a low-scoring affair uh, in this one. Not sure what the over-under is, but bring in some serious consideration uh, for the under if you are filling out your bets in this one, I think the Panthers have an edge, being at home and having you know a starting caliber uh, quarterback instead of Jacoby Brissett. Hate hate to do it to you, Jacoby Brissett, but I think you've given you've had enough chances to prove that you're not a starting quarterback at this point. Um, at home, better quarterback, uh, maybe not better defense, but I do think they're able to to eke this one out in the end, if nothing else. Uh, moving on to the 4 p.m. slate to I think what you can probably imagine is my uh, gonna be my favorite game to watch. Probably the one that's on TV, uh, unless in, unless I'm. Oh wait! Oh God damn it! The Titans are playing at, at 4 p.m. Oh fucking hell! Well, either way, just gonna gonna sit here and uh, drown my sorrows. Uh, th- it's fine. Anyways, Packers versus Vikings, matchup of the week for your boy right now. Even if I might not get to watch it because <sighs> stupid Titans. Whatever. I'm not salty about it at all. You're salty. I'm not salty. Anyways, big-time matchup out the gates for the NFC North standings. Uh, playoff implications, all that. As KOC eat the defenses, i got to really come up with a with a slogan to... Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to workshop that one, but I can't just let, let the KOC sit there and not make some sort of joke out of it. Get back to you next week on that one. Uh, him and the Vikings, new-look Vikings, that is, taking on the reigning one seed in the NFC, led by the back-to-back reigning MVP Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Personally, I am very, very pumped, so goddamn excited to see how this new offensive system looks versus a Green Bay defense that was one of the top units in the entire league last year, returns most of their major contributors, minus Zadarius Smith. Thank you for letting the Vikings have him this year. We're going to very much enjoy his contributions, I think. Uh, I worry that there may be some growing pains with uh, implementing the new scheme, not to mention this is going to be KOC's first time calling plays. Uh, that being said, this continuity on the offensive side, the chemistry that all those guys have built, playing together over the last few years will help ease the awkwardness of the transition, in my opinion. I'm excited to see the weapons that the Vikings have implemented in a modern offensive scheme, and I'm equally excited to see how the Vikings' offensive line has improved. Talk about it more on Friday, on tomorrow, but I am very, very excited is an understatement. This Vikings offensive line. I'm not gonna not gonna give away too much right now, but man, Christian Darrisaw getting Trent Williams comparisons coming out of of camp. Uh, rookie Ed Ingram just stole Jesse Davis a free agent signing's job uh, right out from under him at right guard. I mean, not to mention Ezra Cleveland, Brian O'Neill, Garrett Bradbury, who all have held down their spots for a few seasons at this point. I mean, with a creative running scheme. In a back line like that, or a back like Dalvin Cook, excuse me, running the ball behind him. I mean, this could be one of the best running games in the entire league. I am, I mean, for the first time in a long time, I am excited to watch the a Vikings' offensive line go to work. Really, since probably one of those Brett Favre, well, I would assume the good Brett Favre year. Uh, really, the last time that I was excited about a, a Vikings' offensive line, for the most part. Uh, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Got to save the uh, the team construction analysis for the NFC North preview coming tomorrow for that third episode of the week. Uh, on the other side, we have got Aaron Rodgers. He'll be facing a solid defense in his first game of consequence without Devontae Adams. Packers come in rocking a top two of Alan Lazard and Sammy Watkins. So the receiving core, is, it's lackluster coming into the year to say the least. The bright side is that this receiving core will be facing off against the uh, the weakest area of the Vikings defense. Uh, the corners talk about, again, I don't know why I keep saying that. It's it's quite obvious. We're talking about the NFC North tomorrow. Uh, that being said, they the, the Vikings secondary is the weakest part of the defense. Uh, front seven, very stout for them. We're going to have to wait and find out just how much Patrick Peterson has left in the tank. He's been good when healthy, but health has been a constant issue for him since he joined the team last year. I love Cam Dantzler as a fellow Mississippi State alum, but he's going to have to step it up big time from what he, he showed last season because he got cooked at times when I watched him last year. I mean, it was, it felt like there were games where he was just getting, I mean, put out on an island, put in terrible situations, but really not putting out uh, good performances. Packers receivers may not be altogether threatening but with Aaron Rodgers throwing them the ball as I've known really my entire life since since Brett Favre left uh this group of corners can be had against this team I mean I'll Aaron Rodgers will be retired I'll still be waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat thinking oh, oh he just he just threw a game winning touchdown oh god oh god I mean that's just that's been the life as a Vikings fan my entire life I mean, you just think something good is happening, then Aaron Rodgers comes and rips it away. I mean, the same can be said about us in the context of Aaron Rodgers. We did like break him in half a few years ago. I, I was gonna say thank you, Anthony Barr, but I don't think you thank people for injuries. So sorry about that. Uh, that being said, it's gonna be another great chapter of the Vikings-Packers uh, rivalry. It could be an offensive matchup. Could be a defensive matchup. Uh, for for the Packers, uh, for the Packers' sake. Probably going to want it to be a defensive matchup because we got high-octane weapons on the offensive side. There, there I go, using the, the royal Wii we here. Well, with that, let's get into the matchup of the game. Vikings secondary versus Aaron Rodgers and the Packers receiving core. Kind of redundant based on what I literally just talked about. Uh, but I truly think this is where the game will be won by either team. I think the Vikings' offense will be hard to stop this season, no matter who is in front of them. That includes a very, very talented Packers defense. I I think this Vikings team should score well into the 20s, probably in the 30s when it's all said and done. The Packers are just going to have to keep up at the end of the day. It's going to come down to whether the Packers receivers can beat man coverage and how frequently Aaron Rodgers can throw guys open. If Rodgers can dice up the Vikings' secondary and force this to be a track meet, that essentially comes down to Rodgers versus Cousins. Not even gonna lie. I got my money on Rodgers in that situation. I I would say I love Kirk Cousins, but at this point, I'm just kind of in the boat where I'm tolerating him now. You know, I'm he's my quarterback. I don't love it, but I'm I find it to be acceptable at this point in time. Uh that being said, in a matchup of Kirk Cousins versus Aaron Rodgers, I'm taking the back-to-back reigning MVP when it's all said and done, if it's a if it's a, a shootout. I think the Vikings, I mean, being that they are let me check real quick. Yep, they are at home in this matchup gonna have a very very good opportunity to knock off the Packers early we've done this a couple times before in our history give the Packers fans all sorts of uh, all sorts of pressure all sorts of of fright all sorts of anxiety about their football team I'm hoping that's what happens again this year I don't feel like I can pick this game objectively though so I it's gonna be a great matchup no real real clue what team is gonna win but obviously as a biased Vikings fan skull Vikes anyways moving on. Chiefs versus Cardinals at the next 4 p.m. slot. Uh, this one has all the makings of a shootout here. You got a, the perennially vaunted offense for Kansas City that looks poised for another top five season with Mahomes and all those weapons around him in the offensive line, yada, yada, yada. Been over this over the, over the past couple weeks. Uh, you got the September version of Kyler Murray versus Cliff and Cliff Kingsbury uh, experience, which is generally their best version of themselves. Couple that with the diminished Chiefs defense, who generally starts slow anyways under Steve Spagnuolo, and a a Cardinals defense that, well, you know, they're unfortunately facing Pat Mahomes with a loaded offense, and, you know, points should be flying left and right with that that setup happening. It will be interesting to see just how effective this Cardinals receiving core is, is in the absence of DeAndre Hopkins, especially going against a young chief secondary. I think they're going to have a lot of opportunities to exploit that and get off to a hot start this season. Their ability to win one-on-one matchups is likely going to be the key to keeping up with the Chiefs' offense in this one. This should be a fun one right down to the finish line. Uh, I was going to say a divisional matchup. They're just both in in the West Division. One's in the NFC, one's in the AFC. They're not in the same division, though. Uh, Let's just see if, if September Kyler and Cliff Kingsbury can get off to another hot start this season. It's gonna be tough without uh, DeAndre Hopkins in the fold. Uh, with that said, matchup of the game in my eyes, it's Patrick Mahomes versus that Cardinals secondary. I don't see. I don't see this being a blowout. Uh, if for no other reason that I don't think this Chiefs defense is slowing down the Cardinals offense, or a lot of offenses this year, for that matter. I think particularly when you look at. I just. I just. Briefly alluded to it, but go look back at the the history of Steve Spagnuolo defenses. They do eventually round into shape towards the end of the year, but they historically start bad, 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 bad. I mean, they give up historic levels of offense. You you can see you can go back and see it with the Saints. Eventually, again, they rounded into form. You can see it last year with the Chiefs. You can see it a lot of years with the Chiefs. With how long he's been there at this point, I I mean. I think the Chiefs would take their chances with a shootout because they've got Pat Mahomes uh, and a better group of weapons that, that they can you know fall back on than what Kyler Murray has at his disposal. Um, I think the most likely path for the Cardinals to pull out a win is for their secondary to ball out against this these Chiefs receivers. They're never going to shut down Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he's just too damn good to let that happen, but the strength of this safety group... Uh, with the strength of the safety group, rather the Cardinals can contain him at the very least. He is, I mean, you maybe can't keep him under like pushing that 300 yards, but if you can keep him like right below that, I mean, that's, that's really all you can ask for. I mean, Pat Mahomes is just so ridiculous. Again, you're never going to stop him. All you can hope is to contain him. Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson going to have their hands full helping out these corners. But the main goal for them is just to not let Mahomes take the top off the defense. You're going to probably see some MVS streaking deep, maybe a juju in there as well. MVS is the one you're going to have to watch though, because he's been a problem going deep throughout the, the, the course of his career. All you can hope if he does get loose is that he gets a drop because he is prone to those every now and again. Um, they can't get caught up in the misdirection. They can't blow a coverage deep because if they do, it's six points just like that. In that way, this this Chiefs offense is the exact same as it was last year. Just because they've got the howitzer back there, really, actually, we got to upgrade that term. He's the high Mars because uh, he is both has a long range of fire and can fire very very accurately. So he's not a howitzer. He's got a high Mars on attached to his uh, attached to his shoulder now. Um, if they can keep everything in, if they can keep everything in front of them, that is referring to the Cardinals. That is um, prevent any long explosive plays, keep the Chiefs moving methodically instead of in chunks. Might slow down their pace enough to give the Cardinals a fighting chance to at least hang with the Chiefs in this one. On top of that, if they can force a turnover or two, that might be just the edge. Uh, that tips the game in Arizona's favor. And Mahomes has been known to take some risks before. He trusts the shit out of his arm and the accuracy of that high Mars attached to his shoulder. Um, and I believe I believe that high Mars attached to his shoulder has earned that respect in that in that right. That being said, maybe a little misdirection from the Cardinals. Got, again, great safeties in the back end. Maybe they force a couple turnovers. If so, that could be a game changer that keeps the Cardinals in this one. Should be, maybe, the, I mean, Really, it's just a banger of mat banger of whew, banger slate of matchups for this 4 p.m. slot. I'm just falling apart here. Uh, but really, any way you slice it, uh, this Cardinals Chiefs game should be an absolute dandy to watch. Moving on from that one though to the next one on the 4 p.m. slate: Raiders versus Charges. New regime, brand new shiny weapons for Derek Carr down in Sin City. Which, by the way. The more I think about it, has got to be one of the more hilarious quarterback city combos of all time. Uh, Sin City with the guy that really likes Jesus. I'll I'll just put it that way. Maybe the one guy in the league that likes Jesus more than Russell Wilson is Derek Carr. Uh, I do believe Carson Wentz is pretty pretty much loves uh, Jesus as as much as Derek Carr does. That being said, to pair that guy down in a place where I believe just a county over or really in the same county. I don't know exactly what it is. Either way, in in an adjacent part of the region, you can get hookers legally. I mean, that's I mean, sex work, it, it's legal at right, right outside Las Vegas to have that guy in that area. Just pure prime comedy no matter what. Uh that being said, getting back to the actual issue at hand. They got some holes on the offensive line, that is the Raiders uh, and the, in their secondary, but the collection of weapons at, on that offense uh, Wall or Renfro. Now they got Devontae Adams in there with Derek Carr throwing them the ball. Josh McDaniels drawing up the game plan, calling the plays as well I assume. It's going to be a stiff test for every team they face this season in my opinion. Uh, the Chargers on the other side just jam their roster to the brim with as much talent as Tom Telesco could possibly fit underneath the salary cap. Unlike the Raiders on the other side, this is a complete roster, top to bottom. Talked about it last week, but this Chargers team is about as geared up to win a Super Bowl as they're ever going to get. This is the best roster they're probably ever going to put together around Justin Herbert. They will be entering this year and this matchup with a purpose and I expect them to be one of the top teams in the league even if the AFC West ultimately depresses their overall record. I think this team is just motivated and they're loaded to get to that next level. Matchup of the game in my eyes is Raiders pass rush versus the Chargers offensive line. Uh, Raiders offense will struggle to run the ball. Make no mistakes about it with the deficiencies they've got on the offensive line but ultimately I think they have the weapons to compensate for that mismatch by leaning on a quick passing game. Renfro and Adams, absolute surgeons, tacticians when it comes to running routes and getting open in underneath, tight foam booth type of matchups where you got to get open real quick, get some misdirection in there. Not to mention they have one of, if not the best security blanket at tight end in the entire league. Questionable on the blocking side, but probably the best receiving tight end out there, Darren Waller, work in the middle as well. I don't see the offense getting a bunch of explosive downfield plays because I simply don't think they'll have enough time uh, with the offensive line that's in front of Derek Carr. But I do think they'll consistently and methodically work down the field with the offensive weapons they have. Also, with J.C. Jackson being ruled out for week one, that's an update that I forgot to put in the in the uh, initial Open as well. Main goal for the Raiders needs to be to find a way to slow down that passing game for the Chargers and keep Herbert from lighting them up for 400. Because uh, the secondary for the Raiders, I mean, it's one that you if if you leave them on an island with no pass rush support, they're going to get burned to a crisp by Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Co. With again another high mars attached to his shoulder, uh, Justin Herbert launching balls down the field. He showed he was not afraid to do that last season, and I would assume he only got better this offseason. Like, pretty much every, I mean, quarterback that's destined to be great, he spent basically every day in the offseason trying to improve his craft. You don't expect a jump like you saw from Josh Allen, but, I mean, the guy, he was great last year. I expect him to be even more consistent this year, going against a bad Raiders secondary. So, if the Raiders want to slow down the Chargers' passing game, they're going to have to uh, shorten the clock for Justin Herbert in the pocket. Uh, a lot like what the the Chargers' defense is going to do to Derek Carr in this one. Um, if Matt Crosby, Max Max Crosby, not Mac Crosby, uh, and Chandler Jones can put consistent pressure on Justin Herbert and force him to uh, into uncomfortable situations. They may not totally stop the Chargers passing game, but they'll put the secondary in uh, much more winnable situations than they would if they got no push up front at all. Looking particularly at Storm Norton at right tackle, I think Patrick Graham will find ways to get his guys in the backfield and manufacture pressure by targeting that right side probably blitzing someone around the outside redundant with the pass rusher they have uh, confusing that weak link weak link between Storm Norton and rookie Zion Johnson that right side appears to be the softest area in the Chargers pass blocking scheme i mean don't even don't, don't even look at the other side with uh god i i'm going to feel bad uh, Rashawn Slater my goodness almost forgot the guy's name but don't even Don't even look in the, don't breathe in the direction of Rashawn Slater. That's just a non-starter. He's going to, I mean, either Joey Bosa or Khalil Mack is going to have to go up against him on a snap-by-snap basis. Good luck to whoever that is, because that's a guy, want to talk about a guy who's got future Hall of Famer potential. Rashawn Slater is a beast. One of the best offensive linemen already last year in his rookie year, uh, Hey, hoping hoping Christian Derisau can do that with the Vikings. But getting out getting out of there, getting out of this matchup should be a fun one. I mean, should be an absolute mayhem match. I mean, all of the matchups between the Raiders and the Chargers last year were complete mayhem. Uh no none more chaotic than that final game of the season. Uh if they tied, they would have both gone to the to the playoffs. They didn't tie. Um I uh, who even knows what happens at that? Who who even knows what happened at that point? It happened so long ago. But moral of the story: Chargers didn't make it. Raiders did. It was complete chaos. That's really what I'm getting at here. I am excited to see a repeat of something like that this year, even if the Raiders probably are. Or Raiders and Chargers, for that matter, probably aren't. Uh, with that said, getting into the final two games of this week's uh, schedule. Got first off in the Sunday night game. Buccaneers versus Cowboys, the marquee matchup of big-time brands that put asses in seats this week. That's why they put it on Sunday night. you got America's team, the Cowboys, who have a gravitational field all of their own in in the sports world uh, as far as drawing viewers. Even more than a lot of these European soccer teams, the, the, the Dallas Cowboys are a business. They are a machine when it comes to getting interest, keeping people interest. I mean... It's kind of like a, a weird codependent relationship that that Jerry Jones has with the media. Like you know, the media gets more views if they talk about the Cowboys. The Cowboys get more viewers as the media talks about them more. Really, just sick, twisted stuff playing into each other. Uh, I really just don't enjoy the Cowboys that much at all. Uh, but again, taking my personal biases out of it. That that being said, uh, on the other side, you got the greatest player of all time. Tom Brady, who brings viewers just by the mention of his name. I mean, the Buccaneers might not be a marquee brand, but Tom Brady certainly is. He is, I mean, maybe not. I mean, the Shield is the logo of the NFL, but I mean, like, like, like Jerry West is not literally, I mean, he is literally the logo of the NBA, but even if he wasn't the logo, I mean, he, he exemplifies what the NBA... You, this is a really bad... This is a really bad point. Tom Brady's the fucking logo. That's what he is. Tom Brady's the goddamn logo. I petitioned to change the logo to Tom Brady because he's so goddamn good. Uh, that being said, moving on from this bang-up job from the NFL programming department to slot this into the Sunday night spot. As far as the football is concerned, though, Cowboys are facing an uphill battle, to say the least. I don't think this is going to end up being a particularly close matchup, Uh defensively still one of the better units in the league, but they're facing off against a Tampa offense that is still loaded with talent as well with an intellectual savant orchestrating the show at QB. That is, of course, Tom Brady, the 45-year-old man that refuses to age. Offensively, I mean, God help this Cowboys team. Uh, they, they lost a host of offensive linemen in free agency, then lost Tyron Smith for the year in camp. Or maybe not officially for the year, but I mean, guys, don't bring don't bring a guy that old back in the end of the season after he's coming off a major injury like that. You're just asking for him to get an even worse injury right off the bat. I mean, don't don't put him on ice for the year. I mean, just let him let him be. Uh they did trade Amari Cooper away to the Browns as well. And Michael Gallup's already been ruled out for week one, so that leaves the top three of the the Cowboys CeeDee Lamb, so not a bad number one. Uh, Jalen Tolbert at number two and Noah Brown who caught all of 16 balls last year at that number three receiver to say this offense is bereft of talent compared to what they had last season is the understatement of the year I would say Uh, and to make matters even worse they're facing a Bucks front seven that was one of the best in the entire league last season and all they did was add Akeem Hicks to that uh, to that that uh, equation I don't see how or where the Cowboys are going to find any sort of success on the ground in this game, and I think the Bucks pass rush is going to make it very difficult for Dak to get the ball off cleanly, especially attacking that hole that Tyron Smith left on that side of the uh, that, that that side of the field. Um, I don't believe Jason Peters is going to be ready to start Week One, so it's going to be a, a backup guy in there for now. I mean, put Micah Carson. Not Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons is on the same team. What am I even talking about? Uh, put Shaq Barrett. That's the one that they have. Put Shaq Barrett directly over top of that replacement tackle. Test his meat. Test his meat mouth. Wow, that's... Wow. Test, test his metal. Oh, boy. That, that took a turn real quick. Test his metal right away. See if he can keep up and uh, protect the uh, the quarterback when it's all said and done. Uh, don't discount the possibility uh, that the Cowboys defense can keep it close. Um but I find it unlikely that the Cowboys offense will be able to generate enough production to win the game. I, I don't think Dak that, that is going to have a, a very easy time getting the ball off cleanly. This is going to be a very tough game for the Cowboys to win, even though they are at home. Uh, matchup of the game for me, with that said, is going to be the Cowboys front seven versus the Bucks' offensive line. With what I laid out above, <clears throat> I don't see the Cowboys really generating any offense. So the best chance they have of keeping it close in my eyes is by stymieing the Bucks' offense on the other side of the ball. I think the best way to do that is to put pressure on Tom Brady, control the line of scrimmage on the running plays, really just muck up that entire line every play of the game. The, the Bucks have sustained a few major injuries on the interior of that offensive line at center and at left guard, which the Cowboys may be able to use to their advantage uh, in the running game. All they need to do is just muck up the line of scrimmage. They don't necessarily need penetration into the backfield. Just an absolute slot fest at the line of scrimmage with no no area to really run the ball through, force them to pass the ball, force them to drop back predictably all the time, basically every play. In the pass rush side of things, they may be able to use the versatility of Micah Parsons to their advantage to exploit those weaknesses uh, that the that the Bucks have on the offensive line on passing downs, they can actually experiment with lining him up directly over the uh, the center guard gap and testing that soft spot in the Bucks' offensive line. Ultimately, the goal of the pass rush is going to be exploiting the soft spot in that left interior and uh, getting pressure straight up the middle because the the tackles are still very solid on the outside. You don't want to test them too, too much. You want to hit them where their weaknesses lie, right in the center. I think putting uh, on passing downs particularly, putting Micah Parsons up against that guard-center combo. Could be lethal uh, going into this game, something to keep an eye on. Uh, That's been the one kryptonite for Tom Brady, that pressure up the middle, and you know, literally every other quarterback over the course of his career. That's the goal. Get pressure straight up the middle. Exploit that soft spot. If the Cowboys front seven can pull all of that off, they'll at least keep the game close. If nothing else, that being said, I feel like even with all the the alleged divorce going on and the marital issues for Tom Brady yada 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 he's gonna come if anything that means he's just gonna be more angry on the football field and uh, put a beat down on the Cowboys if they get a chance to I don't mean to offend any possible Cowboys fans listening but again I said it for a lot uh, for the for the millionth time I'll say it now. You're facing an uphill battle this time, Cowboys fans. Just, just buckle up. This one might not be fun. Uh, moving on to the final game of the week. It's Broncos versus Seahawks. And um, yeah, this is a Monday night game. Um, you got Russell Wilson returning to Seattle. Got that storyline. But uh, outside of that, gross. Ew, don't like it at all. Um, honestly, if the Broncos win by less than 15 points, it's it's going to be astounding to me they got a strong running game going against a middle-of-the-road Seahawks run defense and a vaunted passing attack going against an objectively weak Seahawks secondary. They'll probably have to put uh, more help in the secondary, which will open up the running game. I mean, no, no matter where they, they shift their defense to to help out who, they're leaving some part of their defense open for the Broncos to exploit. The Broncos should score no less than 30 points, in my opinion. Um, and on the other side of the ball... Seahawks still have a strong top two uh, wide receivers of D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. But when you got Geno Smith throwing the passes and a rock-solid secondary covering them, I think the overall impact of having those two is greatly diminished in this game and in this season overall. Not to mention the fact that the Broncos will have a strong pass rush, speeding up the clock for Geno Smith to throw the ball. Uh, Gotta love Charles Cross in there, but I mean, the offensive line... It's okay, but not great. It's probably the best uh, part of the offense outside of those receivers, which, I mean, hey, that that's saying something right there. Uh, but they'll have to be playing out of their mind to keep Geno Smith uh, clean because they're coming. The Broncos' pass rush is coming uh, Seahawks may be able to generate some sort of momentum in the run game, given their proficiency at doing so in the past, uh, and adding in Charles Cross to that line going to be a big boon for them, uh, but the fact of the matter is they'll probably be running into seven-plus man boxes, which won't help them at all. Maybe maybe the the presence of DK Metcalf draws a guy out of the box, draws a guy or two out of the box, but... You know what's going to happen basically every down with the Seahawks. The way they're constructed this year, you'd be a fool not to keep at least seven men in the box at all times against this Seahawks team. Uh, for me, matchup of the game, it's going to be the Seahawk versus the Falconer. I'm going to be honest with you here. There's probably a higher probability that Vladimir Putin pulses forces out of Ukraine in the next week uh, than there is that the Seahawks come away with a win in this one. So instead of working my brain into a pretzel to come up with some long shot scenario uh, where every guy on the Broncos team gets injured and the, the Seahawks somehow win the game 9-6, to six, uh, allow me to direct your attention to the pregame festivities. Uh, live Raptor mascots have been known in the past to just go off, go straight goblin mode, do their own thing instead of returning to their falconer. If that happens in the pregame this time, how does the Falconer respond? Do they get the Seahawk back under control quickly? Or will it just be circling the stadium until it eventually and inevitably dive bombs Russell Wilson as retribution for past transgressions to the, to the state of Seattle? I'm going to just call it a state right now. It's fine. I'm not correcting myself. That'll be a real X factor to watch in this game. Look for the Seattle Seahawk. Try to escape. Go on a rogue mission in the name and in the honor of the city of Seattle and uh, you know what? I couldn't think of a better way to end the episode than on that note. So, uh, yeah, three episodes this week. Got another episode coming tomorrow with the NFC North, but I'm going to cut it off there for this episode. That is it. That is the entire preview of week one. Really excited to watch it. Really excited to watch the first of that those games tonight. And me being sick in the head, probably going to watch that Seattle Seahawks uh, versus Broncos game on Monday night as well. Because again, I have a sickness. First step is admitting you have a problem. Haven't quite gotten to the, the second step of uh, quitting because I don't want to quit. I am I'm, I'm, i don't want help. Uh, I've been offered it. I don't want help. I'm, I'm addicted to football and uh, I'm totally okay with that. But with that, enough rambling. Uh, that's all for this episode. If you enjoyed, subscribe. Leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy if you didn't enjoy. Just keep removing, my guy. Uh, but, like, you know, tell people it was good anyways. You know, it, it helps out helps out the boy. Uh, I release two episodes a week during the football season, NFL on Tuesdays, college football plus Monday Night Football recap on Thursdays. Any additions or changes, I will let you all know as they occur like I did this week. Uh, follow me on all my socials, at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description below so you don't have to f- spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. Uh, if you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at, gmail on, at gmail.com. That is unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put in all caps, business or show to start the subject line so you can be categorized accordingly. Thank you so much for tuning into Unqualified Analysis. And as always, I've got zero clue what I'm talking about. And more on that... One thing I learned this week, you may already know that Aaron Burr, the uh, the founding father and former Bryce, vice president of the United States, killed his longtime political rival, also fellow founding father, Alexander Hamilton, in a duel back in early 1800s. I think it was 1804, 1806 one of those in there I didn't didn't pay that much attention to the podcast I was listening to either way uh one thing I didn't know up until this week though was that Aaron Burr later conspired to create an independent republic in the American Southwest well it's debatable exactly what part of the Southwest let me let me get into it he collaborated with US general James Wilkinson who was working as an agent for the Spanish at the time, there's speculation as to whether the independent Republic was supposed to be comprised of American Southwestern territories or Spanish holdings that he was going to, I mean, take from the Spanish, basically make it into a a Spanish vassal state. Either way, he was conspiring against the United States. Ultimately, the intent was the same. Wilkinson saw that the writing was on the wall Ratted out Burr to the authorities in Washington, D.C. Tough partner in crime to pick there. Tough partner in crime. Actually, at one point, had a heavily armed posse. I don't know if they marched on New Orleans because it didn't end up being enough people to actually take the city. But they moved a significant, enough weapons to arm a militia moving towards New Orleans. Um you know, pretty sketchy, pretty sketchy stuff there if you're Aaron Burr. Uh, Later, he was acquitted for treason on the grounds that he did conspire against the United States. That was apparently a proven fact, uh, but hadn't gone through with any overt act to go through with the plan because moving weapons down to New Orleans, uh, assumedly to uh, annex territories, doesn't count as an overt act, I suppose. Uh, Talk about one of the great assholes in American history, though. Aaron Burr, didn't know he not only killed a founding father, a fellow founding father, it is also was a founding father, so interesting little tidbit there. Uh, ended his political career by killing a founding father, then basically rolled that directly into uh, betraying the United States, a country that he uh, helped to create. So, yeah, one of the great assholes in American history, even more so than I thought. So, hey, hope you guys learned something. Enjoy the weekend. I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Very excited football is back for the 7 millionth time this episode.